You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org. Great. So uh, for anyone who hasn't been around recently, we're in the middle of a speaking series called Already Good. And that's about, I guess, questioning the concept of something called original sin and exploring original blessing as an alternative. So in the first week, uh, Rob introduced us to original sin, explained where the theory came from, and then I introduced original blessing as a potential alternative. And then uh, the last time we were in the building together, we had a great interview with Jill Rowe um, from Oasis UK, who I think thought about the idea a little bit more in practice and maybe helped us work out what it might look like in an organisation like Oasis. So if you missed those talks, I'd really encourage you to catch up with those via our podcast, as they're a great place to start when getting your head around some of this stuff. So now we know uh, what original blessing is, uh, this idea that we are born good, that we come from goodness and are wired for goodness rather than the theory of original sin that says we're you know, born bad and are wired towards evil and, or sin. Today we're going to think about a big question that I think if we're honest, original blessing leaves us asking and that's how do we explain evil? So you know, if we're wired for goodness, if we're all actually these good people just trying our best and our inherent nature is to be loving and kind and good, how do we explain all the evil in the world and the awful things that we do to each other? So today I'm mostly going to be answering that question, you know, why people, why we sometimes commit acts of evil. And I'm going to talk about what our response might be to that, uh, touching a little bit on our previous theme from a few months ago of wholeheartedness. And then finally drawing one of the great sources of wisdom of our time, the TV show Ted Lasso. Any Ted Lasso fans in the room? Yes. I'm not on commission from Apple TV, but if you've not seen it, it's worth paying for Apple TV for a month just to like binge your way through Ted Lasso. Talking about a TV show that is about original goodness and seeing the good in people, that nails it. So yeah, go watch Ted Lasso. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, Rob, Rob and I have both recommended these two books uh, to help us get our heads around these, these sorts of concepts. And today I'm actually going to be drawing a lot from Humankind, so by Rutger Bregman, I think that's how you say it. And, you know, the Bible is a great source of wisdom, isn't it? But I think it's also really important to draw on other more recent sources of wisdom and kind of weave that in with the, the Bible as well and other disciplines as well. And I think this job does a really fantastic job of that. So there's everything, history, psychology, sociology, um, and it, across history sort of discussing this question of whether people are inherently good or inherently bad. Uh, so I'd really recommend that you read that book and I've, I've really enjoyed reading it. And it's important at this stage, I feel like I, every time I do a talk, I do a disclaimer. So I'm, I'm going to do my usual disclaimer of these are obviously my opinions and conclusions. After doing some reading, I'm not an expert on any of this and I don't have time uh, this morning to go into like loads of depth and detail on some of the things that I'm going to say. But we always hope that Sundays are kind of like the beginning of something that, you know, um, we introduce something and then perhaps that's the start of you perhaps then exploring or reflecting on the topic yourself. And there's also two things that I'm not going to talk about. Um, and one is this word sin, this idea of sin, as I'm going to be doing a separate talk on that in a couple of weeks' time. And the other is that I'm not going to talk about psychopaths or sociopaths or very extreme examples of evil, as I think they're rare. And I'm also not a psychologist. Uh, so, yeah. I wouldn't have a clue what I was talking about. Um, I think, you know, when we've got like a limited time, we're here this morning, it makes sense, doesn't it, to focus on like the areas that impact the vast majority of us. So that's what I'm, I'm going to try and do. So humankind devotes a lot of space to exploring, as it says, why, why good people turn bad. And I'm going to summarise those reasons into these five key conclusions. And I'll talk briefly about those, but again, they're all explained in much more detail um, in the book. So there's power and authority, 
evil disguised as doing good, disconnection and connection, xenophobia and trauma response. So firstly, power and authority. So Bregman gives like um, loads of historical examples of, of when power corrupts. So sometimes when we elect leaders who perhaps seem just and good and kind and then the power we give them through that election kind of corrupts them and they then use that power for harm and sometimes without even realising that that's what they're doing. And we can probably think of many examples of political leaders who perhaps started out with great ideas, great intentions, but power somehow skewed those ideas, uh, twisted those intentions, and they changed, causing great harm. And as humans, generally, I think we're, we're not great with power. And I think that's because we're actually not designed to, to hold a lot of power. I think power should always be shared. Um, definitely believe in democracy. And, you know, now I'm a proper Baptist. I have to believe in it. So, <laughs> but I do. I very much do. Um, and the second reason that people commit harm is when they think they're doing something good. So in the book, Bregman talks about um, this example of a, a Nazi commander who years after the Second World War was put on trial for the deaths of, of millions of Jews through the Holocaust. And um, psychologists spent loads of time sort of studying him, you know, expecting to find this sort of monstrous psychopath. And actually, they were really dis surprised to discover he was actually completely normal. Um, yeah, he wasn't a psychopath, he wasn't a monster, he was just a fairly sort of ordinary man. And when he was interviewed, he talked about not, you know, sickeningly, like not regretting what he'd done because he believed completely in the ideals of the Nazi party. So, you know, he believed he was part of this greater good, this bigger thing, this, you know, creating a master race or a better world and that that was more important than the lives of the people that he'd killed. And I guess you could call it, you know, brainwashing or indoctrination maybe, but actually he believed those awful acts of evil were serving the greater good. So evil can sometimes be disguised as good. Okay, thirdly, uh, the relationship between connection and disconnection is really important. So Bregman discusses warfare quite a bit, uh, quoting statistics of how British soldiers were killed in the Second World War. So chemical causes was 2%, blast or crush was 2%, landmines 10%, bullets, anti-tank mines were 10%, and then mortars, grenades, aerial bombs and shells accounted for 75% of deaths from British soldiers. And in every uh, war, statistics kind of conclude a, a similar or same thing, that a very low percentage of soldiers actually fired their guns on the battlefield. So it turns out that when we're connected to somebody, you know, when we can actually see them and look in their eyes, see them as a human being, it's actually pretty hard to kill or harm them. And it's just not within our, our nature. And, you know, history has shown, in particularly through research and war, that um, we do whatever we can to avoid it. But when we're disconnected, when we can't see who we're harming, it's easy, isn't it? You know, we can press that button, shoot a missile, drop a bomb, and we don't have to look into the eyes of the people that we're hurting. And on a smaller level, I think, I think we see this perhaps, you know, some of the online stuff is a good example of where we could see that on a, a more relatable level. You know, the, most of us aren't going to press a button that, you know, kills somebody. Um, but actually some of the stuff that we see online, you know, the horrific comments that people make on social media and comment sections of blogs and things that they would just never say, you know, to someone's face. They just wouldn't do it. But when they're disconnected because there's that barrier of the screen or the, the keyboard or whatever, it's a keyboard warriors, I call them, you know, when they don't have to look that person in the eye, um, you know, then they'll say often things that are much harsher or cause harm in that way. So when we're not connected to them harming, um, them is much easier. 
And then on the flip side of that connection is, uh, on the other hand, is another really powerful reason for also why people commit acts of evil. Um, so again, Bregman talks about the example of German soldiers in the Second World War, were sort of known for being these particularly tough fighters who wouldn't give up. And it was assumed that this was because they were all brainwashed, you know, by the Nazi ideology. So they do whatever it took to sort of make that happen. Um, but actually, when many of them were interviewed in prisoner of war camps, that wasn't the case at all. Most of them said that the reason they fought so hard wasn't actually the ideology. Um, it was, uh, and actually they, they cared very little about that, but it was to protect their friends. So it was about comradeship. And actually German commanders knew this. And so they went to great lengths to keep men, like groups of men together over long periods of time, sort of knowing that relationship and friendship made better fighters and made them more likely to fight harder and kill the enemy and fire the guns. So sometimes we commit evil because we're disconnected from the person that we're harming. And sometimes we commit evil because we're protecting someone or something that we have a deep connection with. So that one can kind of work both ways. Okay, fourth then, xenophobia. So Bregman argues that many studies and examples over time reveal that actually one of our flaws as a species is that we have this kind of inbuilt xenophobia. I don't know if that comes from our sort of survival as early humans, but we can fear or see as a threat anything that's different to us. Uh, we tend to other people or things that we can't connect or relate to. So we care generally about people who look like us, who are more like us. So I think we can look at perhaps the difference in the public response between the series war and the refugees that that created and the invasion of Ukraine by, by Russia. So our country responded, didn't it, much more uh, strongly to the Ukraine. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have responded, we should, but we didn't do much in terms of Syrian refugees. We did some, but when you look at the scale of it, it's just not the same. Um, and yeah, there's there's different reasons why that might, might be, but I think if we're honest, um, white European people that we can relate to evoked much more of an emotional and practical response in us than brown Syrian people that feel quite disconnected from most, most of the people in this room, not everyone, um, yeah, our, our lives. Because they're, they're more like most of us. And that's a really difficult one to swallow, isn't it? But actually, st statistically, again, it's true. And I think, you know, sometimes evil is actually what we don't do, isn't it? Just as much as, as what we do. And finally, uh, on these five points, and this is uh, a, a big one, so we're going to spend a bit more time on this, that we com uh, commit acts of evil and we harm others sometimes because we're actually responding to our own trauma. So we're acting from a part of ourselves that's unhealed and hurting. You know, we can think of that on a, a really small level, can't we? Like when we snap at a loved one or say something mean because we've had a rubbish day. But, you know, when there's something hurting, when there's a, a wound that isn't treated, it can become toxic and it can harm ourselves and it can harm others. And that's why it's so important that we're all working, always working on our own emotional health, that we look at our own stuff and take responsibility for being as whole and as healed as we possibly can be. And I still believe that the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts that we can give to others is, is the work that we do on ourselves. And that is not easy. <laughs> it's really hard. I think it's one of the hardest things that you can do is to actually face your own stuff and, you know, doing the work, increasing your self-awareness and trying to live that healthy kind of inner life. But it, it's that sort of paradoxical thing that sometimes working on yourself is then the, the best way to be, um, yeah, to be a better person, to, to help others more. 
and I know Sarah's mentioned it, and we've mentioned it a couple of times. This um, the secure school that Oasis is, is is opening soon, and we're excited about that because it's just such a pioneering sort of revolutionary thing, and really interested to see that the impact that has. But it has a completely different ethos and approach than other young offenders institutions and secure units. So yeah, rather than this idea of sort of punishment that someone's done evil and therefore they should be you know punished and segregated from others, it's actually more about restoration and community. So um, it doesn't ask like what you've done wrong, but it asks bit more what's happened to you and it tries to kind of restore it's going to restore people back into community and help them reintegrate into society and Jill um, said something in her interview which really I think is an excellent way of summarizing I think she said something along the lines of you know no no one that um traumatizes somebody else hasn't been traumatized themselves and I think that's a really um really key thing so you know the criminal justice system in most places around the world apart from Norway which is some good examples in the book again um, it just causes more harm it just it causes more trauma and more damage it doesn't work punishment just doesn't work um, this is a uh, George Bernard Shaw quote which I like um, if you are to punish someone retributively you must injure them if you are to reform them you must improve them and people are not improved by injuries you know, I think when we put people in environments, prison environments, where it's very traumatising, it's very damaging, surprise, surprise, it doesn't help people, it just traumatises them even further. So um, we're going to watch a short video of an exercise uh, called Step Inside the Circle, and this is um, done in a maximum security US prison, and I think it's really uh, telling about what it reveals about the link between trauma and criminality. So it's quite a powerful film, so just be a little bit prepared for that, but actually I think it's a good thing um, to be moved by it. So yeah, let's watch that now. circle. Is everyone ready to face their past with compassion? Is that a yes? While you were growing up during your first 18 years of life, if a parent or other adult in the household often or very often would swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you, step inside the circle. If a parent or other adult in the household often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or threw something at you, step inside the circle. If a parent or other adult in the household often or very often ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured, step inside the circle. If you often felt that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special, step inside the circle. If your family lived in extreme poverty, step inside the circle. Step inside the circle. Step inside the circle. Step inside the circle. 
Your true spirits are not violent. Your true spirits are magnificent. It's powerful, isn't it? And that last line, you know, people aren't inherently evil. You know, people's true nature, I love what she said, you know, people people's true spirit where she says it is magnificent and it's trying to uncover that isn't it um I've, I've talked about this before here i think so i might have already told this story so apologies if anybody's already heard it but when i was a youth work student as part of my degree i had to do like an additional placement in a setting sort of working with young people that was like different to my main placement so for six months I did a placement in what was Ashfield Young Offenders Institution in Bristol, which contains sort of three to four hundred boys aged between 15 to 21 who'd been convicted of everything from uh, burglary and drug-related crimes to more serious things such as murder and, and serious sexual offences. And that placement, I think, completely changed my life actually, my view on evil particularly and the reasons for it and how people in custody should be treated. I always get a bit emotional telling this story, but I'll try. So I think, it, I think it's probably fair to say that when I was a 28-year-old youth work student, you know, full of zeal in my desire to evangelise for the Lord, uh, I was pretty judgy. So, you know, I thought it was simple. All these lads, you know, they'd sinned, they committed awful acts and they, you know, they deserved to be punished um, and they needed to repent, to be remorseful, to change and then be released into the community once they'd done their time and accepted uh, what they'd done. And my placement, I was based with the chaplaincy inside the prison. And, um, and one of my first days in, I was told that um, today, so one of the jobs of the chaplaincy is to go and visit vulnerable inmates every day. So anybody that's um, in segregation or on the mental health uh, wing sort of has to be visited by a member of the chaplain every day. So I went around doing some of those visits and the ones that were safe for me to do uh, with the chaplain. So I was told that this day we were going to visit a 15-year-old sex offender. And when I heard about the multiple crimes that this boy had committed, the harm that he'd done, I felt sick. And I thought, I don't even want to look at this boy, let alone talk to him. You know, what a monster he must be to have done the stuff that he's done. And I must have sort of said something or reacted in some way as the chaplain, who was like very blunt and forthright. I guess you have to be if you're a chaplain in a prison. He just sort of left the room and he came back a couple of minutes later with this like thick folder like that and just crashed it down in front of me. And he said, read that <laughs> and, and sort of left me alone. And um, yeah, I, I couldn't get past the first few pages. So what had been put in front of me was the file of, of this lad and it had everything from sort of medical evaluations, psych reports, social services reports to details of the offending and, and his sentencing. And the, the horror of this boy's life, the abuse that he'd suffered, the trauma he'd endured, everything that he'd done just made total sense. And I sat at the desk and I burst into tears because I felt so ashamed that I judged this lad so harshly without knowing any of the circumstances of his life. And the chaplain came back in, looked at me and said, right, now you're ready to meet him. Let's go. <laughs> and actually meeting this lad, seeing how he was just a broken, hurting, traumatised young person who needed love and help, who was actually desperately trying to change his life. I think it kind of changed mine and it made me always seek to understand the why, to look at the reasons why people behave in the way that they do. And so often it is a trauma response. Um, yeah. I like this quote again, this is um, from humankind. So I've striven not to laugh at human actions, not to weep at them, not to hate them, but to understand them. 
And I see this in Jesus so much, you know, that I think that's probably why he asked so many more questions than he gave answers. It's why when others sought to judge and punish, he always encouraged them to forgive and to love. I think he often looked at the circumstances behind each life, you know, saw the reasons why. And I think that is the Jesus way, you know, endless understanding, scandalous grace, radical forgiveness and and reckless love, you know, love that restores and heals, love that brings peace and wholeness or this idea of shalom that we've explored before, this Jewish concept of everything as it should be. Um, and when I was preparing this, there was, a, there was a quote that kept coming into my head. And I was like, where's that from? Is it a Bible verse? Is it? And I was like, it wasn't in the Bible. And I was like, it's from Ted Lasso. And then on further inspection, I actually discovered it wasn't from Ted Lasso. It was said by Walt Whitman <laughs> before Ted Lasso. But it was quoted in Ted Lasso. So if you've seen it, it's a particularly good scene um, where he basically overcomes someone who's a bit of a bully um, by using this, this sort of phrase. And it's just this, be curious, not judgmental. So when people do something evil or harmful, let's ask why. And when you do something harmful, ask why. Try and sit with it. Get curious. Do your research, because actually what you find out might really surprise you. And, you know, for the stuff that's been been done to us, you know, sometimes you don't get the sorry, do you? And it's hard. You you won't even perhaps get an acknowledgement or an admission. And justice doesn't always happen in the way that it should. And that's hard to, to live with. But I think in the understanding why, it becomes a little bit easier to live with and it hurts a little bit less. And... Again, really important, what I'm not saying at all is that acts of harm or evil or sin or whatever word that you want to use are okay or not that big of a deal. So the things that we do to ourselves and others cause huge, sometimes irreparable damage and we need to take them really seriously. And I'll be touching on that more when I speak about sin in a couple of weeks' time. That's why I wanted to do that as a separate talk because I want to really give that some time. And I'm not saying that for some of us here that have been through really horrific stuff, that what you need to do is just understand why that person did that and then you'll be fine. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I think that sense of, of always understanding that there's a reason, there's a, there's a story, there's a context to um, that situation, that moment is helpful. And there's one final thing that I thought it was important to, to say today, and that's that's around choice. So I, I remember um, when I was doing this placement, talking to someone in my family about the young offenders that I was working with, and they responded with this very sort of, well, you know, every, everyone has a choice at the end of the day, whatever they've been through, you know, they still had a choice to do what they did and they still chose to do it. And in my opinion, that's one of the most interesting and also biggest myths about sin and evil and harm, that actually we all have an equal choice. Some of us do have a choice, but choice is actually a privilege. And I think we really need to recognise this more. So choice is for people who have different options, who have information about alternatives, but actually not everybody has that. So if you have choices, then you have privilege. And I think we all need to not assume that everyone else has those same choices. So we've seen in the news recently, um, haven't we, that there's been this huge increase in shoplifting, which is attributed to the the cost of living crisis. Um, And again, you could look at that, you know, somebody stole something in principle, that's wrong. But actually, if that choice is between feeding your kids um, or stealing, is that really a choice? Or what if, um, you know, you're a neglected child and a county lines gang offers you community protection money in return for delivering a couple of envelopes a few times a week? You know, is that really a choice? Or perhaps if you have a mental or physical health condition that prevents you from engaging in things that, that most of us take for granted, again, is that really a choice? So I think recognising that 
choice is a privilege and some people don't have it and if we do then yeah it's like I said a privilege so I know I've chucked a lot of stuff at you I think it's always good isn't it to go right what do we do with this what do we do with this um, as a response well I think Let's continue to be curious and not judgmental. Um, and I think it's really important to say that that is as much about us as it is others. We can easily look at this, can't we, as like, oh, that person over there that does all this harm or evil. Or, and we don't kind of like attribute it to ourselves. Um, but sitting with the stuff that maybe, and things that maybe like repeated patterns that we notice ourselves doing um, that might cause harm in a relationship or, you know, trying to sit with it and be curious with it. Why do I do that? Where does that come from? And it might be that you need, um, you know, somebody else to help you with that. And again, with others, let's always get curious. Let's always try and figure out and understand. And I think asking questions rather than giving, giving answers, um, continuing to work on ourselves and being as healed and whole as we can be, and taking responsibility, I think, for the way that we harm others. And always knowing that there's always a way to heal and to restore, to recover, to resurrect, you know, for, for you, for me, for all of us, all of us. And that, um, that's what we do, I think. I hope that's what we do here. We try and make that happen um, in our lives and in the lives of, of everyone um, that we meet. Okay. I kind of left this bit open because I was like, I don't know what to do at the end. I, don't, I feel like we've sat and reflected already. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something horrendous now. I'm going to make you talk to each other. <laughs> so just for five minutes, I just want you to maybe chat to the person next to you. And if you're not next to somebody, maybe move so that you are. Um, and yeah, just what, what struck you from this? Um, a bit like the kind of what, so what, now what? You know, So like what particularly kind of stuck out to you? What does that mean? And then is there anything that you need to do um, now? So yeah, the kind of what, so what, now what? Just for five minutes, let's chat to those around us. Okay, sorry to interrupt your fascinating conversations. They sound good, but hopefully they're conversations you can continue over coffee uh, at the end of the service. So please do keep, keep reflecting, keep chatting, keep processing. Sometimes I like think about things internally, but actually just chatting with people helps me really then understand, okay, this is what I think about that, or maybe this is how I kind of need to, yeah, take it forward in my own life. So yeah, please do continue those conversations at the end of the service. Um, so Gaynor actually is just going to come and share something um, that's, that's really relevant for today. So. Thank you, Joe. Um, when we started this morning, um, this verse came into my mind. And um, yeah, I've just been thinking about it this morning. So I just wanted to share it with you and just give you just a couple of thoughts behind it and just see if this, this resonates with anybody here this morning. Um, and the verse is from Genesis chapter 26, and it's verse 22. And it says... Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. And that verse is actually, you've gone past it all this morning. As you've come up the stairs, it's on the plaque, it's on the stone. And it was the verse that this church was founded with 150 years ago. Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish. And this is at the end of a story of somebody called Isaac. And Isaac was having a lot of evil done to him. And the particular evil that he was having done to him was that he tried to dig a well for water to provide for his family. And somebody kept filling up the well. And he had to move somewhere else. And then somebody 
filled up that well, then he had to move somewhere else, and somebody filled in that well. And again and again, it was like he couldn't get fresh water. And I just was wondering if perhaps there might be somebody here who felt that over a period of time, you have tried to be digging your own well and trying to access life and trying just to really dig down and just receive um, God's flow of life. And somebody's just keep filling it in. And they just keep, and somebody's just, something's happening that's just stopping that. And it's not your fault. It's just happened. Well, I think God wants to perhaps remind you this morning that now, now, same as 3,000 years ago, 150 years ago, now too, God is saying, God has given you room. And in this place, you can flourish. If that means anything to you and you think you'd like to pray with somebody afterwards, please go and find somebody with the orange lanyard and I'm sure they'll be able to direct you to them. But if you've encountered a lot of evil and you feel you're not accessing the source of living water through no fault of your own, God's saying to you, now you can. In this place, God has given you room to flourish. Okay. Great. Thank you, Gaynor. Um, Yeah, let's perhaps close by just praying together. God, thank you for the time and space and words that we've heard and experienced this morning. And uh, this isn't easy stuff, so for those of us where perhaps something feels hard or painful... We pray that you would be close to us in that, that you'd yeah, give us people that we can chat to and process that with. And for the ongoing questions that we need to ask of ourselves and of others, for um, that kind of patience to be curious instead of judgmental. Yeah, we need your help with all of this. So yeah, just help us to keep working out what it looks like in our lives, um, in the lives of others, in our, in our world too. Amen. You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Bath. To find out more about us, visit our website at www.oasisbath.org.